0: Well, good morning City Church and thank you for that amazing welcome. My name is Peter Park or I'll go by Peter Parker or Spider-Man. I'll respond to any one of those names. Um, As Pastor Billy said, we've been friends for a little over 10 years now and it's just really incredible as I was flying down here just reflecting back on the time that we first met and let me just say that Pastor Billy and I are proof that God can use anyone to advance the gospel. Uh, It's just absolutely amazing how God has been so good and gracious to us. With many of you, he's planted City Church a few years ago, and then after about 13 years of serving at the Summit Church, my family and I, we're being sent out to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia in just under two months to replant a church there, and so we're really excited about that. We're going to be in a short passage this morning in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. It's a passage that has radically changed my family's life in the last 18 months or so. We started praying these verses, and God started to move in just absolutely amazing ways, and we're going to break it down phrase by phrase. So Hebrews 12, look at verse 1 with me. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses now i want to take you to hebrews 11 really quick often referred to as the hall of faith because it sets the tables for our two verses today hebrews 11:1 says you can follow along on the screen with me it says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it the people of old received their commendation jumping down to verse 6 And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seeks him. And then the chapter will go on to list some of the giants of the Bible, like Noah, who listened to God and built the ark, a really big boat to save his family from a worldwide catastrophic flood. And then you have Abraham, who obeyed God when he called him out to go into a new land. He believed God when he said that he would have a son, even though he and his wife, Sarah, were too old to have children. He was even ready to sacrifice his son, Isaac, when God tested him, believing that if he had gone through with it, that God was able to raise him from the dead. Now, that's that's pretty crazy faith. And then you have others like Moses who saw some of the most incredible miracles and works of God. He saw the plagues against the Egyptians, the parting of the Red Sea. He got to see the glory of God pass by him. And then you have others like David, Israel's greatest king and songwriter, and many others like Samuel and the prophets who, verses 33 through 35, look at this. It says that they... Through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. How amazing is that? And this is where everyone wants their name to be a part of, in this part of the hall of faith. But Hebrews 11 goes on to say, verses 35 through 38, listen to this, some were tortured refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Now, who wants their name in that part (laughs) of the Hall of Faith? These are unnamed nobodies, right? These are peoples whose prayers weren't answered. Their circumstances didn't change, and they suffered. God didn't show up for them. And it makes me ask the question, was it worth it? Was it worth it for these brothers and sisters to suffer and die for their faith in God? And we're going to come back to that when we get to verse 2. Maybe you're sitting here thinking right now, I could never do that. I'm a nobody, I'm not amazing like these people, and if you're feeling that way, I have both bad news and good news for you. The bad news is that you're exactly right. You don't have what it takes to be like one of these heroes of the faith. You've got nothing to offer, but the good news is that that is exactly who God loves to use. Everyday, ordinary, broken, weak vessels so that he gets the glory Now, if you know the characters in the first half of chapter 11, then you also know that Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, that they were all messed up, right? They got drunk, they lied, they killed people, they disobeyed God, they stole other people's wives, had multiple wives, and so on. They're all broken just like us, and we have faith in the same God who did mind-blowing things despite their failures. You see, God is not limited by our inabilities because it's not about your merits or your gifts or the size of your faith or the lack of those things, but it is the object, the person of your faith, as Pastor Tim Keller says. See, the Bible is not ultimately about amazing people, but an amazing God. God is the main character, and only he's the true hero, and all the other characters point to how our hope can only be found in the person of Jesus. Now, in light of all these witnesses who trusted and believed in a big God, two actions for us that logically flow out of the text, and the order is important. Look at the rest of verse 1 with me, the next part. In light of this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the author of Hebrews is calling us to lay aside two things, every weight and sin. We're going to talk about sin first sin is any act or thought or word that violates the good and holy nature of God, right? They, at, they include acts of commission, things that you do that you shouldn't do, and also acts of omission, things that you don't do that you should do. Basically, it's any time that you don't fully love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, okay? So the question is, how do you deal with the sin in your life? Do you lay it down like the text is calling us to, or maybe you've gotten comfortable with it, like you feel like you can keep it isolated and like you can control it. Maybe you think, it doesn't affect me that much. But there's a reason why the verse says that sin clings so closely, because sin is not so easily laid down. And what seems to be so harmless is pulling you away from the God of life, and that always has devastating consequences. Like There are some people who think that the Christian life is... I've got to give up this sin, even though I I really like it, though. It's much more than that. Rather, it's, I now find even greater joy in knowing Jesus. He's better than any sin that I can indulge in. Paul would say in Romans 6, he exhorts us, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We've been raised to new life. And what's interesting, in the Greek, cling so closely literally means skillfully surrounding, easily ensnaring, obstructing, namely to prevent or slow running. Now make a note of that for the next part of the verse. Secondly, so we're called to lay down every sin. We're called to lay down every weight. A weight is anything and everything that could hinder you from fully living out your faith and following God. This is different from sin, right? Weights can be good things that slow you down or distract you from the mission. Some examples of what weights can be are comfort, leisure, security, marriage, kids, careers, hobbies. And yes, there is a balance to all of this. God, our Father, is a good Father. He loves to give us good and perfect gifts for us to enjoy, but they can become a weight if we become distracted by them. So the question then is, how do I know what the weights are in my life? What is keeping me down? What is distracting me from the wishing? And you can ask yourself, what do you find yourself daydreaming about? On what things does your mind naturally wander off to in that moment of silence? What do you? What are the things that you get lost in your thoughts about? And then, are you willing to give up these things? That's because you are so consumed by Jesus and His mission to save people. Now, let me share a little bit about why this. These couple of verses have hit my family so hard. We've had the desire to go overseas for a really long time. It was actually a part of the conversation when we started dating and. We could write a whole book on this, but I'm just going to give you some of the highlights, right? In 2016, we thought God was sending us to the Middle East to serve in Dubai. We thought we were going to join a church there and go on staff there. But for whatever reason, God closed the door on that. And it it felt like, God, there are so many people who are unreached. We're willing to go. Why aren't you sending us? And it felt like God was saying, I'm just making sure that you're for real when you say you're going to go where I tell you to go, but not yet. And so as we're waiting, we come back to Durham, which is where we live right now. We didn't want to sit around and just kind of do nothing, be one foot in, one foot out. And so we decided in 2018 that we're going to foster. And fostering would allow us to love and serve our city. And ultimately, it would give us the flexibility to when God opened the door for us to go overseas, we could ideally, because in foster care, the kids come into foster care, and ideally, they go back to their families. And so we thought, oh, this is great. We can serve our city and then we can foster and then we can ideally give the kids back and then we can go, right? Whenever God opens that door. And that was our plan. Our one and only placement, our first placement ended up being a three plus year long journey and holding pattern with our son, Micah, who by the grace of God, just three months ago, we got a text saying that he was officially adopted into our family. And then at the end of 2021, so kind of backtracking a little bit. In, our pers- in my personal Bible reading plan, reading through Hebrews, and I get to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Now, as a pastor, I talk to a lot of people who determine God's will solely based on their circumstances or what's easy and what's comfortable, right? And it's usually just a reflection of their own heart and their own desires. So after reading Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it was clear that the Spirit was speaking to me Right, And so I immediately went to my wife, and I told her, this kind of, she was doing something around the house, probably caught her off guard, just out of the blue, and I told her, we can't get too comfortable with this life. We have such an amazing life. We have stability. We have security. We love our life in Durham. We love our ministry there. And for whatever reason, when I read this, it was as if the Spirit was speaking to me. He was speaking to me and said, I don't want you to get too comfortable with this life that you have here. My wife was like, absolutely 100% on board. And we just had, and I just had this moment of clarity. They're, they don't come very often, <laughs> but I had this moment of clarity of thinking who cares if we have all the riches and comfort in this life in light of how many lost people there are in the world? What does that matter? What do we gain by that? And so we started praying these verses, these two verses, and God starts working and moving mountains. April of 2022, just a couple of months later, Malaysia, after its borders were closed solid for two years because of COVID, they finally opened their borders. In May, the next month, TPR happens, Termination on Printer Rights. So basically after two and a half years um, of journeying and figuring out and praying that God will open up the door for adoption, um, termination of parental rights happened. It's a day that we grieve because this my son's relationship with his biological mom is severed, and we grieve that, but we celebrate it as well because we know that the road to adoption is just right around the corner. A couple of months later, I fly to KL by myself with a couple of staff members from the summit. My wife stays at home, and she says, oh, the last thing she texted me when I got on the plane, I told her, I'm hopping on this international flight, pray, and I love you and I'll miss you. And the only thing she responded back was not, I love you and I miss you too. She said, come back with a clear answer. (laughs) That's the last (laughs) thing and the only thing that she texted me. So I had all this pressure as I'm walking around the streets of KL praying and just, God, we're willing to do whatever, just make it clear to us. And he didn't make it clear to us while I was in KL. And so my wife picks me up from the airport and she opens the door and I was like, I'm so glad to be home. I love you guys. It's, I missed you. And you know what she says to me? Not I love you and I miss you too. She said, what are we doing? <laughs> that's all she said to me. And I was like, I don't know. We, we need to pray about this. More. So for the next two weeks, we fast and we pray. And on August the 18th, 2022, on our 15-year anniversary, when we went out to dinner, because we have four kids, and it's when we go out to dinner on date night or our anniversary, that's like the only time we have like two minutes to talk without being interrupted. So we sit there for for a couple hours, just reflecting back on the last 15 years of marriage and where God is taking us and our family. And it was clear to us, we made a decision at that table, God was calling us to KL, and we needed to go. And so we started planning all the logistics. My wife is a big planner. We thought, we have so many things to take care of. This is um, August of 22, and we thought, okay, it's gonna take us at least two years to get there. So summer of 24, we got to finish out the adoption. You would think when you adopt somebody, they kind of give you all the paperwork and everything that you need. That's absolutely not the case. They make you hunt all that stuff down by yourself. Um, so we we're like, we got to wrap up all this stuff with the adoption. We got to get passports. Got to move my parents. We got to move our own family. We got to make sure we leave our jobs well. We got a support raise. And what are we going to do about our pandemic puppy? And as we started listing out all these things... God was like he 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 spoke to us and and, uh, to me in in this moment of rebuke, and he was like, "Peter, if if I called you to this, don't you think I can take care of all these other things too?" So we were planning to go in 2024, and now we're flying out in August the 19th, 2023, in less than two months from now. It's just absolutely crazy what God is doing. And listen, you might hear that and think, "Man, their their family is kind of awesome, right? That's amazing." Let me tell you, that cannot be further from the truth. We are incredibly ordinary, normal people. If you knew our family, you wouldn't be impressed by us. Our, our friends aren't impressed by us. We're just Peter and Grace you know, with our crazy kids. That's just who we are, right? And you know how one of the reasons that we know that God is calling us to KL is that KL has hot tropical weather all year round. In our family, the Park family, we are very ungodly people in the heat. And I think God is sending us there to help us work on our holiness. And when my, wife, when my wife found that out, she saw that. She was like, absolutely, I'm not going anywhere hot. And just let that be a lesson to us all. You should never tell God what you're not going to do. Okay, just, whatever he, just say, I'm willing to do whatever. And it's also just amazing to see how our older two are counting the cost. So our younger two, they're five and three. They just kind of go with the flow of things. They're a little bit too young to process everything that's going on. But my older two are counting the cost at their age-appropriate level. It's uh, its amazing. I was sharing with um, a couple of staff last night that when we were sharing with our family and our kids because we wanted this journey and this calling to be something that was not just for me, oh, daddy has a new job there, so our family is moving We really want this to be something that God was calling our family to do. So they were part of the whole conversation and part of the process. And so the day that we told our kids, um, my son, Timothy, who's 10 years now, he's he's the biggest UNC basketball fan, North Carolina basketball fan in the world. He loves going to Carolina games. And that's kind of our thing. We wait till an hour before the game. We try to get cheap tickets on StubHub. And so the first words out of his mouth after we tell him we've prayed about it and this is what we believe God is calling us to do, we're moving to KL. And he's paused for five seconds and he goes, Dad, does that mean that we're not gonna be able to go to Carolina basketball games anymore? And I was like, yeah, buddy, because of school and how far it is away, like, we're probably not gonna be back during basketball season, and so this is probably the last time that we'll go to any games. And But you never know, like, if God calls us back in the winter, then we'll try to go to a game. And I was like, I was wondering what he was thinking. So I was like, so what, but what do you think? Should we stay here, and should we try to get season tickets and go to all the games that we can, or should we go to KL? And without skipping a beat, he says, no, Dad. If God is calling us to go, we got to go. And in that moment, it was just so humbling for me. I didn't teach him that. For, for all of you, and maybe they're, they're listening to the service while they're serving in kids, for those of you who serve in kids, Normally, I want you to know that your labor is not in vain, right? Your week in, week out, wrestling with these kids, like, is what I'm doing meaningful or impactful at all? Because these kids are crazy. They're just doing whatever. It doesn't seem like they're paying attention. I can promise you that it is. It's just absolutely amazing to see how God is working. My daughter, Ellis, who's seven, has had similar conversations with us. And our definition of sacrifice now as believers is giving up something that we love for something that we love even more. That's what sacrifice is for us. But when you say yes to an awesome God, he does wonderful life-changing work in you and through you. But you first have to lay down every weight in sin so you're a light because our calling is to run. Look at the last part of verse one with me. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And let me tell you, I hate running. And our calling is to run. I was like, Lord, could you have picked a different metaphor? There's a reason why the word race is where we get our word agony in the Greek. In high school, I had this friend who would always, he always refused to run. He said, the only time I run is when I'm being chased. And the problem was he was on the track team. I kid you not. And so that's, I've just adopted that as my life motto, right? You ever have one of those dreams where something's chasing after you and you're scared for your life? And you're just you're shedding everything you have and you're trying to run for your life, but your feet aren't moving, and you can't get away from whatever it is that's chasing you. Even in our dreams, we understand that when it's a life or death situation, you just drop everything you have and you try to run away from whatever that thing is that's chasing you. Or have you ever seen a, a marathon runner or a sprinter wearing a backpack? No. They're wearing the loudest outfit possible because they can't possibly run effectively or efficiently with weight. And that's the point, that the weight of sin and the cares of the world can make you ineffective. They do make you ineffective. So the Christian mindset is, what do I, not what do I have to give up for Jesus, but what best enables me to run and please Jesus and engage in his mission? And we're called to run with endurance for life. In the long run, in the face of hardship, suffering, persecution, things not going our way, when you're tired, when you feel like it's not worth it, when you're not seeing the results... And many people have what one pastor calls circumstantial faith. Your faith goes up and down depending on the factors of your life. When times are good, God is good. When times are bad, God is bad or maybe even non-existent. It's a faith that's fragile. But Pastor Tim Keller, he says that faith isn't primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out, trusting, believing what truth is despite how you feel. Elizabeth Elliot said it this way, the secret to enduring is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. That's how I usually think. I can endure and I'll be good if my my circumstances just change. But that's not the truth. The way that I'm going to endure is by Christ enduring in me. And we usually want this high mountaintop experiences, but don't underestimate the little steps of faith and obedience over time. Even for me, who is not a runner, I can see that every marathon is accomplished with one step, one stride at a time. And so we have to be faithful for the long run. Now, let me go over a couple of quick common objections that I hear when we're talking about this. The first is, I'll do it later. I'm too busy. I've got to do my things first. I have to attain such and such. But to that, I would just say delayed obedience is disobedience. It's like what I tell my kids. When mommy or daddy ask you to do something, you need to do it all the way right away. You need to do it all the way right away. Or maybe you have FOMO. Your fear of missing out as you look at the world and what everyone else has Right? If you fear anything, it's, it should be that you're going to miss out on what God has for you. And I promise you, that is so much better. Or maybe you think, I don't want to do it, or I can't do it alone. Well, you don't have to. That's what this church family is here for. Or maybe you think, I'm not that special. We've kind of already covered that one. Here's another one, kids. Kids. Listen, God didn't give us kids to sideline us from the mission, He gave us kids to train and disciple and equip and send them out. I tell parents all the time, we are discipling, you are discipling your kids either intentionally or unintentionally. And they will not believe, our kids, your kids will not believe that that Jesus is at the center of your world if that's the spot that they occupy. And we can't teach them to live for Jesus if we live for our kids. We have to model it for them. And lastly, missions picking up and moving overseas to take the gospel in places where Christ has not yet been named. A lot of times I hear, we can't because God has clearly opened up a door for us here. And that may be true, but we also understand that not every opportunity and circumstances of God, right, there is such a thing as an enemy, there is such a thing as temptation, and some are sent here Some are sent here to Alpharetta, and that is great. Now, I want to be very clear. Being called here is not any lesser of a calling than going to the mission field. But statistically speaking, with how much of the world is unreached, I'm pretty confident that there should be a lot more people going overseas. So what does the race of your life reflect that you love and that you're running? One way to tell is by what kind of fruit you're bearing and the things that you're praying for, because you always bear fruit in keeping with the nature of the vine that you're attached to. Pastor Tony Evans says, you can't be full of the Spirit and follow the Spirit if you're full of yourself and doing your own thing. So your prayer life, that's a great litmus test, the things that you pray for. If God said yes to all of your prayers, would just your circumstances change? Would just your financial situation change? Or would there actually be people who know Christ because of what you're praying? Again, this doesn't mean that you have to quit your job and go overseas and be a missionary in the jungle. But apart from faith in Christ, is there an explanation for your life? Would your life look any different if Jesus wasn't real and his promises weren't true? If not, then you're probably not living by faith. So, but are you willing to lay it all down for him? Listen, this is a hard word, but this is, this is a true word. If the only time you live on mission and serve God and follow him is when it's convenient for you or in your schedule or when you get something out of it, then you're only interested in serving yourself, not in, in serving Jesus. It just, it's just an add-on to your life at that point. Now, there are two key factors for endurance over the long run. First is we, us. Okay, every time you see we and us in these two verses, I want you to circle it. Right, how many of you guys know the name Eliud Kipchoge? I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but he's really famous because he's the first person ever to run a marathon in under two hours. It's absolutely incredible. He, was running, he ran 26.2 miles at a four and a half minute a mile pace. And I I stumbled upon him because I'm a big shoe guy, and there was this whole big thing about mechanical doping. And I was like, at least in my mind, because I'm not a runner, I'm like, unless those things have engines on them, I don't know what you're talking about, mechanical doping. I couldn't run four and a half minute mile for half a mile or, or 400 meters, whatever. But here's what people don't often recognize people who are runners in particular, they know who he is, but what what other people don't know is that he needed a team of 41 of the best runners in the entire world in training and on race day to make that happen. We can't do it alone in this race. We need one another. It's got to be a we-us collective effort. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. This is the most important part of the passage. Without this, everything else falls apart, and this is the only thing that you need to walk out of here with. Why? Look at who he is. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. These aren't just empty titles that are, are ascribed to God. His titles, his, his person, and his character are intimately and inseparably tied to his deeds. So in Philippians 1.6, it says that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so if we as believers can trust him for our salvation at the beginning and our eternity at the end, then we can surely trust him for the middle, I'm told by runners, like when they're running and they're running a marathon or whatever, they kind of look out in the distance and they pick a spot and they're like, I just need to make it to that spot. And if I can make it to that spot, I'll be good. And once they make it to the spot, they, they pick a next, the next marker and they say, if I could just make it to that next spot. And that's who Jesus, and that's what Jesus is for us. Keeping our eyes fixed on him. That's the only way you're going to lay down every weight and sin in your life. It's not by trying harder, it's not by becoming better, it's by looking at Jesus and clinging to him. So when you cling to Jesus, you lose a hold of everything else in this world that you're grasping onto. And this is really important because we're not living for this world. This world is not our home. Back to our story just very quickly. In the worldly sense, in, in so many ways, like we've attained to everything that we could possibly hope for. God has just been so gracious to us. I have a great job at the Summit Church. My wife has a great job at the Summit. And as we enter into this next season of life, this is where most people in their mid-30s to mid-50s, kind of that's their, like their golden money-making years. You've kind of done all the striving of your young and late 20s, and you kind of hit your stride in your careers. We have secure jobs. We have money. Um, I'm a pastor, so my wife has money. She has (laughs) more than me. Um, We have health. We have a home, security, kids, and stability. And and we found ourselves in many ways in a place where we just, God had been so good to us that we didn't really need him anymore. We had become really self-sufficient. We had things under control. But this is what we've come to learn, that God doesn't want you in those places where you can just depend on yourself. He wants you in places where you're desperate for him, where he can show up in your life. So, you can trust Jesus and his promises, but you can also trust his experience of suffering. Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't already done for himself, and he doesn't provide a way for us in what he has called us to. Remember how we talked about how God likes to use nobodies? Well, it's true of Jesus too. Well, Jesus wasn't a nobody, but he emptied himself and he made himself nothing. He didn't have good looks or earthly possessions. If I was God in the flesh and I came to earth, I would have just ridden around on a cloud. I would have just had a great old time. But Jesus endured the cross, a brutal and bloody death, despising, disregarding the shame, and he finished his race perfectly, and this is so amazing, and he did it with joy. What an incredible statement. Think about it. There is nothing that Jesus lacked before his incarnation and crucifixion. He had all riches and power and glory. He had a perfect relationship with the Father, and the list goes on. The only thing that he didn't have was a right relationship with us, and he didn't save us reluctantly. He did it for the joy that was set before, us, before him because he delights in us. Doesn't that make you want to look at Jesus, to love him and to lay down everything you have for him and his mission? Shouldn't that become our joy like it was his? If following Jesus feels more like a duty or an obligation, something you do out of guilt, then you're just a religious person that hasn't truly experienced the joy of Jesus. Because people made new by the gospel are people of joy. People of joy who become and love like him through sacrifice, the laying down of our lives and our stuff and our preferences for the sake of others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 15, 14 and 15, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It is counter, as C.S. Lewis says, it is counter to our created and redeemed nature to live for ourselves or for anything or anyone else. Paul says in Romans 12 that we should live as living sacrifices. This is our reasonable our reasonable act of worship based on what Christ has done for us. What rights do we have? What should we feel entitled to? Jesus laid down all of his rights to save us. We're entitled to nothing. We're owed nothing. Yet by the grace of God, he has lavished his love and his grace upon us, and he calls us into relationship and mission with him. The gospel is very simple, but it demands everything, our very lives. Again, if there is no suffering, no sacrifice, no self-denial, self-death in your life, I can say with a pretty high level of confidence that you're not following Jesus. And the call to follow Jesus is to take up your cross and follow him. So if God only ever calls you to do what is easy or comfortable, things that suit your preferences, then you really have to question whether you're listening to him or something or someone else like the world. I love this quote by Elizabeth Elliott. She says, Obedience to God very often appears to us at first glance to mean sacrifice. We shrink from it. Sacrifice always involves death and we reject death. But the divine paradox, the one we find running throughout all of Scripture, is that this sacrifice, the offering of ourselves in obedience to God, always means life. It is life, nothing less than life that God offers to us. So when we disobey, we are actually, what we are actually doing is choosing death. And this is the confidence that we have. The last part of verse 2, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is not pacing around anxiously, worried about what's going to happen. There is nothing that will ever threaten or come against his throne. And that means that we can live boldly with faith and trust God who has control over all things. It should give us so much freedom, and this is important because the gospel is not that we have to run or perform for Jesus. The gospel is that our approval is not contingent on us or our running, but how Jesus ran and endured for us in our place. We get the trophy that Jesus earned, that he deserved, and so we can go and run with audacious faith like we've already won. Remember Hebrews 11.1 that we started with, said that faith was the assurance of things hoped for. Things hoped for, meaning that we are not satisfied with how people and the things in our lives, in our city, in the world are as they sit today. People's salvation, our joy, and Christ's glory are at stake. He's worthy of every nation and every person, and that's why we're called to lay it all down to run with endurance. We believe in the same God who worked powerfully, just like it's mentioned in Hebrews 11, but a God who not only worked powerfully in the past, but is doing that here today. The last verses I want to show you, Hebrews 11, 39 through 40, right before chapter 12, says this, in all these, all this, this great cloud of witnesses, all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Even though they did all these amazing things and suffered and lived and died for Christ, they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, us, you, city church, that they should not be made perfect. You see, our race ends with joining this great cloud of witnesses. And the path is faithfulness to Jesus. So we come back to the question is he worthy? Is he worthy? When you look at and consider Jesus, is he supremely worthy to you? All you have to do is look at his person, look at his character, look at what he's done for you. When you ran the other way from God, God the Father loved you so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to run after you, to lay down his life in your place so that you and I, that we could become sons and daughters of God. Jesus laid down his royalty, his life, and is now seated in his rightful place, where for all of eternity we'll be around the throne saying, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to receive all glory and power and honor and might. So his invitation is for you to come and to align your life with his and his mission. Only one life will soon be passed. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Life and joy are found only in Jesus, and it is His invitation for you to come and join in on that. Why don't you bow your heads and just take a moment to hear from the Spirit and how He is speaking to us in this moment? What weight or sin are you holding on to that you need to lay down today? I just want the Spirit to put. His finger on that. What do you need to lay down today? If you really want to experience God in a powerful way, all you have to do is say yes to Him. My eyes are fixed on you. I will follow you wherever you send me, I'll, I'll go. And because God is faithful, our God is faithful, we can be faith filled and we can run with endurance you can run with endurance for the sake of this city and the world. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't put your faith in him, Christ's invitation to you is to enter into his joy to a life that is fuller than you can ever imagine. The world promises you things. It promises you joy and fulfillment and life but can never deliver on those things. But Jesus can. And he will never fail. He will never fail you. So turn back from the world and look to him. Jesus, I pray that because you are worthy, because you have been given the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and tongue confess that you are Lord, but it was a name that was not freely given to you, but it was bestowed upon you because you humbled yourself. You made yourself nothing. And you died on a cross so that we might be saved. So I pray for this church, for City Church. I pray that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. I pray that every work of faith and every resolve for good, everything that you've put on their hearts to do to reach this city, to serve this city and the world, that you would say yes to those things, that you would, you would buy your power and according to the great riches of your grace that you would say yes to all of those things, that you would supply for all of their needs for every person here to run the race for the mission that they've, that you've called them to. God, I pray that you would help them to fix their eyes on you, Jesus, because you are worthy. And it's in his most awesome and powerful name that we pray. Amen.